I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, it's the title race that will not die, and we are here to unpick the latest chapter of Liverpool and Manchester City's quest to win the league. Much like the previous 17 chapters, it involved wins for both. But who will blink first? Plenty of blinking happening lower down the Premier League table, with Manchester United and Arsenal stinking out Easter for their fans, but more encouraging odours emanating from Newcastle United. We look back on a thrilling week in the Champions League, hop on an imaginary budget flight to mainland Europe, give the PFA Player of the Year shortlist a thorough going over, and wonder about times when being on the losing side hasn't felt so bad. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by a man who has spent most of the past week living in virtual reality. Now back in real reality, it's JJ Bull. How are you? Hello, I'm good, thanks. It was a well. The real reality was my horrible experience of Thursday night, where I managed to evade a mugging. Oh, oh, why? Yeah, well, I was mugged, and I managed to come away with all my stuff. There were bad muggers. It wasn't fun. Crikey! Yeah, well, it's a good thing they weren't efficient. Be careful, kids. Oh, Be I'm careful sorry, and JJ. don't move to East London. Yeah. Alongside him, we have our European football authority, Mina Razuki, and a West Londoner at that. Yes. <laughs> Not that you can avoid muggings there either. Hi. Feeling positive. Uh, it's been a rough ride in Europe, but yes. I'm, I'm all right. Plenty to get into there. Refreshed from a trip to our nation's glorious Midlands, it's Matt Law. How are you, Matt? Correct. All the better. Well, all the better for a trip to a Midlands mentally. Physically, I'm suffering a little bit with hay fever, so apologies if I sniff a little. Yeah, I don't think we've ever had, possibly never had the sneeze before. Could happen today. Mm. Could happen. Could be the day. I'm definitely I'm, in danger of it. I'm right We're there with sufferers. you. Yeah. Let's begin with the Premier League title race, the ongoing Premier League title race. City rousing themselves from uh, the game against Spurs in the Champions League, which we'll get into later. How impressive was it that they did manage to rouse themselves, JJ, after the emotional volatility of that defeat in the Champions League? They seemed really fired up. Like they were properly going for it in that game. And I think it was nice they started Phil Foden. Both teams made a lot of changes. Guardiola went with roughly the same setup he went with in the Champions League game that they also won, but lost the tie, obviously. And I think, yeah, it shows that they, I mean, they, they knew they had to win that, and they were clearly uh, disappointed slash hugely angry by the fact that they were out of that competition now. But what a win against a really, really difficult side to break down who were trying to make it tough. And I think, were it not for that early goal, I'm not sure whether they've got the win. Yeah, you've got to admire Spurs' tenacity as well in this game. I mean, obviously, they would have been absolutely exhausted from the exertions of Wednesday, despite uh, being on the winning side in the tie. I mean, if you were going to predict this game, you would think that after everything that happened in the Champions League, for sure, it would be City's game because it was going to be a, a case of revenge and a case of like, we're going to have to win this one because if we're not going to win the Champions League, then at least let us win the domestic treble. 
But um, I thought that they were actually really good. And I thought City would be a lot better. But it's still the same problems that you have with City um, in terms of their defence and the gaps in between the players, the lack of communication at the back. And there's always one who ends up being quite exposed. You know, it was Laporte, obviously, in the Champions League. Um, and from, from errors, though. It is errors. And the reason they're so far apart is so they can stretch the pitch, so they can link passes together and be able to play the way they do. Well, Rina's ha- right, though. I mean, Edison still had to have a oh, yeah, pretty the, good game. Against yeah, they were, they, they were less one, they won a lot. people just run in between you. But then they wouldn't be able to attack the way they do if they didn't play the way they do. And the way Spurs set up is perfectly um, done to make sure they always had players who are 1v1. Like, you had Son and Mura were always 1v1 with a centre-back because they were playing with that diamond. And the 10, so Ali was always next to uh, Gundogan. So that any single little mistake, because the fullbacks push up, would mean that they have a 1v1 with each situation straight away. And that's what they had. So where there is an error, they're in real trouble. So yeah, yeah I agree. That's so how can you do it so that this is my question, always has been, is how can you arrange it so that you are not exposed when there is an error? Well, you'd have to have more players back, which means you're not quite as uh, strong going forward. But sometimes you might have to sacrifice a little bit of attack in order to be defensively capable. Maybe right? when you want to win a game and play in a certain way, you've got yes. to do that. And in fairness, he did that in the first Champions League leg. And it, it didn't work out great for yeah. him, did it? I mean, That's I because I think that he decided to make it a physical game. And I think that he tried to do something that his team aren't necessarily capable of doing. Isn't Listen, if you want to go all out attack, then I get that. You know, like just stick by your sword and, it's and go. all out attack, though, is it? It's just controlling the pitch. No, no, I game. mean in general. And if, yeah. if you want to sacrifice something in defense to be all attack, then of course. But there are going to be problems, especially if you face teams that are direct and have a counter-attacking ability in the sense that Liverpool did, Monaco did in the Champions and League, everyone example. is that against Man City. Everyone's counter And everyone is that. And, and obviously when you are... Uh, Spurs and you have certain players who are capable obviously Lucas Moura is a very vertical and direct threat and obviously so is Son and you'll always be open to the problems and being exposed so we know Stones was exposed on this occasion it's, it is errors like you said but then you end up sort of looking at the centre-backs and thinking oh you made mistakes here like Laporte in the Champions League or Stones there and and you think like there, I, I, there just has to be more balance there for me. What did we make of Phil Foden's introduction? Bit of a surprise to see him in the starting lineup, but took his chance well, pressed very well, I thought, and took his goal very calmly. I, I mean, well. firstly, I thought it was so encouraging that he started that game. Because, I mean, that was a massive, massive game. Okay, the Man United game on Wednesday night is now City's biggest game of the season. But that was City's biggest game of the season at the weekend before the United game. I mean, after the Champions League result. And everything that had happened emotionally for them, that was such a huge game. And to put him in from the start was really encouraging. So I, we've spoken about it on this podcast before. I've been critical of the fact I don't think he's given him more opportunities, particularly at kind of key times in games or in key games. So to put him in in that game was a huge statement, I thought. And he did very well. He scored his goal. He wasn't... I didn't think he was spectacular. No, I think he wasn't as good as he could have been, actually. I think he struggled a bit in but he, passes and stuff. He didn't do anything stupid either, and he didn't do, try and... I suppose the, the danger would be that he comes in and because he's, it's only his second Premier League start and because of the pressure that's on him, because everyone expects him to be this superstar, that he would almost try and do too much and try and do silly things. And I didn't see him trying to do anything silly or trying to do too much to catch people's eye. Speaking of superstars, what have you made of Son Heung-min in recent games, Matt? He seems to have stepped up again to replace the void left by Harry Kane. It's funny, isn't it? I mean, he was on fire um, when Kane was injured before. Kane comes back and 
takes over that kind of talisman role for Tottenham and uh, Son has a bit of a quieter time as a result. And then the minute that Kane's out again, Son is on fire again. And I think it's interesting, actually. I think it shows how Son has developed because when he first came into Tottenham, very understandably, he was quite a quiet guy. He was maybe thought of as a squad player and he was more in the shadows of other players. I actually think um, that now he does take on a lot more of a leadership role, both on and off the pitch. He'll talk more to the press um, and certainly more confidently, which obviously helps with his his English getting better and better. Um, And on the pitch, you can see it as well. The minute that Kane is out, he relishes becoming the talisman and the guy who they rely on. And he steps up to it and that massively shows how far he's come on at Tottenham. He'd be quite a good fit for Man City, wouldn't he? He'd fit well into a system like... He could play anywhere. I think he could play... uh, I mean, it sounds very superlative, but he could play for uh, Man City. Man United would kill for a player like him. My God, he would just change the way all of that works up front. Because he's not only got this huge amount of quality, his first touch is brilliant, but it's most one of the most important things in a player is having a great first touch. His decision-making is always good. Mm-hmm. So, and he runs at pace, but he's always making the right decision, knows where to go. He's very clever. He brings players out the way to bring others in. Like He doesn't mind being the second player behind Kane when he's playing alongside him, which is so valuable to a team because it's a team ethic first. So yeah, Real Madrid, Barcelona. This is it. Every <laughs> any single Euro, yeah. like European team would like be so grateful to have him in the team. Also because it just seems like he doesn't seem to feel any pressure. Also the way that you know after the Champions League when he came out and he was all smiles and chatting to you know to BT Sport and and everyone around it, he just doesn't look like he feels the weight of the pressure or thinks to himself, this is a big game and it's all on me and I've got to do something because Kane is out. It looks like he genuinely enjoys himself and he's obviously capable with two feeds. He's so smart when it comes to uncovering space and positioning himself that, I, I mean, it would be if they lose him, they lose a lot. You've got to remember as well, he played a World Cup. He played in Asian games. He's played an Asian Cup. I mean, he's... He's played more football than anybody. I mean, it's crazy the amount of football the he's played. The engine he has on. A yeah. rare unanimous verdict from the AFC Telegraph <laughs> podcast. Wonderful player, fantastic man. <laughs> what about the other team in the title race, Mina? Liverpool struggled a little bit to get the breakthrough against Cardiff, but a fairly routine win in the end for them. They look well-rested, Liverpool. They seem to be peaking at the right time. They are peaking at the right time, and I think that for them, they didn't have the mental exhaustion that obviously Man City suffered during midweek. It was a relatively routine win over Porto as well and for them it looks like you know I think in their heads they just think we are superior obviously um, to Cardiff so this is going to be something that now we have to win and I do I really love what Henderson is doing at the moment I think that he is the kind of guy that you need exactly at this moment and it seems like Salah's got his confidence back by the way that was a penalty I don't know why everyone was debating that that was really strange I'm with you Um, (laughs) right I think Firmino feels like you know he's you know, Mane, everyone is playing to with a lot more confidence at the right time. And this is what you would expect. But again, it's easy challenges for them at the moment. So you would expect them to win these. I think, I mean, they, they're just going to have to win all the games, aren't they? They know that. They, they've seemed to have taken on what, what they're going to have to do. They're just going to have to win all their games and hope that City just slip up somewhere. What's the goal difference between them? Oh, It'd be interesting if Liverpool you, absolutely thrashed someone to I mean, bring that into play. I think if they win all their games and don't win the title, they'll have got something like 97 points, yeah. won't they? I mean, crikey, to not win the title with 97 points. They're, they're one of the best. Pep Guardiola said the other day that they're one of the best 
teams he's ever played against. I think they're one of the best I've seen. They're so good. It's very hard to work out just exactly how good they are, having not won anything just yet. I think we're so lucky to have this race, considering when you look around Europe at the moment, or you even consider the Premier League last season, to have this challenge at the moment and have two different styles of play, two different philosophies at work, and both, you know, with their own weaknesses and their own strengths, it's been amazing to watch this season. Neil Warnock even said, I agree with Neil Warnock, there's not a weakness in the team. it's funny because then people have been saying that I can't remember who exactly is in that um, teams when Man City come to play them they just sit back and say oh please don't hurt me and uh, but teams who play against Liverpool think they might be able to get something out of it but mm. they're just getting battered I absolutely pumped it's um, six goals difference between Liverpool and Man City so Ooh. you never know it could come down to to goal difference somehow the final twist yeah let's move on to two teams who had a very disappointing weekend Manchester United and Arsenal. United's 4-0 defeat at Everton felt like one of the worst United performances in recent memory. What's happened to them, Matt? Um, they've reverted to type a little bit, haven't they? I mean, that the bounce has gone, the euphoria's gone. This was almost like a level below what they were. Yeah, it was. It, I mean, it's it, like they're no longer afraid of the manager, so they're just going <laughs> to jog around and know they're not going to get shouted at. It was a real it. sort of deck chairs job, wasn't it? I mean, I... I still think, I mean, we said before, well, I said before, I didn't think they should have jumped into giving Solskjaer the job mm. before the end of the season. I don't particularly blame Solskjaer for this performance, um, but I do think that they've made a mistake, an, emo- an emotional mistake, by giving it him before the end of the season, before they needed to. I We can never know whether the bounce would have continued if he'd have carried on being a, a caretaker until the end, but... Since he got the permanent gig, it, it, the results have, have turned. I mean, there's there's no way, two ways about it. But, I mean, look, a lot was said yesterday. That there's clearly a lot of attitude problems in that squad. I don't think, I've said before on this podcast, they've got deficiencies in the squad, but I, don't still, I still don't think that's a bad squad at all. I think that's a squad that you should be able to get third or fourth without too much, too much problem. So it's got to be a mental problem. It's got to be mentalities. And it was all wrong yesterday. Having said that, Everton were great, and the goals they scored. I mean, the first three goals were all brilliant goals, mm. absolutely brilliant goals. Um, but yeah, a few weeks ago, you, I think everyone thought United were nailed on top four, and I think it'd be brave of anyone to predict them finishing top four at the moment. I thought they were for sure nailed on top four. Like I'm, I even thought that they could give Barcelona a run for their money. So I'm a little bit surprised by this downturn. What I don't understand with United is also, it is that, you know, there was no need to make such swift decisions. And I think that on the whole, building a good team doesn't isn't about buying the best players. I don't think that's the point. I think it's about getting a great balance. And you feel like a lot of the time, the the attitude in that dressing room is not well balanced. There isn't this there's just too many players there that don't feel like it's either that they feel they've already arrived and that there's no need to work hard anymore because they're already united and getting the grand paycheck or others who are perhaps not of the quality that you would need at United. But every team, a lot of teams, if you don't have a great philosophy of play needs to run it to hundred kilometers and play with intensity in order to win. Um, And I think that, what you have at United is this, you know, they ran eight kilometers less than Everton. There was just a lack of of desire, um, a lack of leadership there. And the way that the team has been built, like when you're handing Sanchez that kind of wage, those kind of wages, and, you know, you've gone all in on Martial, he's always been one of the most talented, play- talented players, and we know that. But perhaps on an attitude level, 
that wasn't going to be something that necessarily suited him. And then, you know, it, it, it's a case of, you know, let's give Solskjaer the contract. There's no need to. Wait, you're still Manchester United. You can still attract the best teams, uh, the best managers, the best players in the world. There's no need to always react and outpay and overpay. You know, at the end of the day, you need to believe in who you are and you need to recruit the people who either fight for your team the way that Foden does. You know, it's the right time to bring in Foden, for example, in a big game after such a loss because you know that more than anyone, he's going to have that desire to be vengeful, the desire to play. But who has that for United? Have they got enough or is it just a collection of people now who are overpaid? Who would you get rid of this summer, JJ? Well, I mean, there's I think there's a heap of things to this because the squad, I, I don't know there's players there that could do good things, but they've proven again and again under different managers that it's not built to challenge for a title. So I think it was right that they put Solskjaer in at the time because he'd managed, the way he'd, what he'd brought to them at the time when he came in was unbelievable. They looked yeah. so good. The, the players were all right behind him. And I think what it looks like is their decision was if they, they're not going to get anyone else in. Pochettino's too expensive. He's not going to go. So they've got Solskjaer here who's doing this great job. He's clearly got a good um, system around him at coaching staff to get what he wants out of them. And if they make that decision now, it means they've got a clear planning strategy for the future, for the summer so they can recruit because players know who's going to be there and they've seen what's happened. And it also could have been a statement where, I mean, a lot of clubs do it, where they, a player or a manager signs a new contract before a big game because it gives you an extra boost. So it's just a kind of psychological thing. And I think it could have been that. But you look at, I mean, Solskjaer knows how to win league titles. I know it's in uh, Norway, so maybe people would say it's not a real league, but he still won league titles. And not every manager does that. Lots of managers go to different leagues and lower leagues in foreign countries and they don't win anything. Solskjaer's won two. He's also, he took Molde when he went to them uh, last time, took them from finishing sixth, fifth, around that kind of bit, like a lower lower table, to being um, second, second, and they were pushing for the title every single year. But who they're going to get rid of in the... In the summer is difficult. And you look, I think, at how Jurgen Klopp turned around Liverpool. And Man United are basically the new Liverpool. They had a, a mm. era of dominance and then it's gone. Um, and they have to rebuild and the players aren't quite there. The mentality's not there in the dressing room. They don't have those same young players coming through. Like you're seeing the Fodens and that. Not every club's blessed with them coming through. They've got a couple of good young players. Tath Chong is a good player. Uh, Mason Greenwood's been getting game time. Solskjaer's bringing them in. But Klopp, his first season, he finished eighth in the league. And uh, that's not great at Liverpool. He did. He finished eighth. Tom's looking at me weird. <laughs> <laughs> Seems unthinkable, doesn't it? Yeah, he's first, first season he finished eighth. He came in in October 2015. In January, he signed uh, Marco Gruic. That's it for six million. But in the summer, because Klopp knew what he wanted, and I don't know how Liverpool set up. I think Matt knows how they're set up. But they, they brought in Sadio Mane for 37 million, Gini Wijnaldum for 25, um, Loris Karius and Ragnar Klavan for buttons between them. And also Alexander Arnold got promoted to the, to the first team. So that's a good step, and they made it to fourth. But that's a whole two seasons that Klopp's had to get them there. Then the next season, they signed Salah, Chamberlain, and Andrew Robertson. And again, that's another step to get to the Champions League final um, after recruiting Van Dijk in January. So it's all clear strategy, and they know that Klopp can do it because he's won league titles in previous seasons and knows how to construct a team. Solskjaer's proven he can do that in Norway, and he knows the club very well and has the support staff. So it really depends on whether... But does now. he have the technical director? Does he have the people who Probably can... Probably not just yet. That's a big problem with them, isn't it? Mm. We keep seeing every single week. But I think people jump in to say Solskjaer was wrong for the job. He's not. It looks no, like, no, looks I like don't think players he's wrong, but uh, are not was... doing it anymore. They you saw it against Everton. See, the Pogba lost the ball in about the 70th minute and they're like, losing 3-0 or 4-0 at a time or something. And he just jogs back. And Lukaku's sort of wandering around at the top. Martial looks like he's 
Dallo. Bored at the end of his shift. <laughs> I know. No, I get that. I don't think that it's a bad decision to choose him. Mm. I'm saying it's a decision that didn't need to be made. Like, why not assess the decision? You had time. There was no need to rush into it. Well, because it. you have a plan for the summer, don't you? So if you do it now, it could have been that signal tenant. Imagine it still plan for the summer, though. I don't buy that you have to have him as manager to plan for the summer. These days, you don't have to do that. And why not keep the players on a bit of a string? Why not keep them guessing? Why not well, keep them thinking? That looks right is now. This going to be the man- I know. It's yeah. all within hindsight. Yeah. My only defence on that is I did say from the off they should not give it in before the end of the season and this is why I believed it. I also just think, yes, it's probably unlikely they'd have been able to get Pochettino. But why aren't you giving yourself that chance? Pochettino might be a Champions League winning manager mm. by the end of the season. We can all laugh. Behind the scenes we don't know about where he's gone, I'm not going to... I'm not sure him. there is. I'm really not sure. He's not stupid enough to do that because he needs leverage with Levy. He needs leverage in O's situation. I can't believe that he's told anyone what he's thinking of doing, apart from maybe Jesus Perez, his assistant, because he wants all the options. You know, he that's good. That works for him to have all these options. But it also just feels like the worry with Solskjaer would be that he'll be great with the feel-good factor and the bringing the spirit together. We're yet to see, and we're not going to be, be able to get to see this until the, the summer, whether he can make those tough decisions, whether he can really hammer people. And the one opportunity he probably did do at, within this reign he's had is, you know, this Pogba business. Mm. Pogba and his agent constantly, constantly using Real Madrid and angling for moves or angling for a new contract or angling for something. So Solskjaer had the chance to slap him down a little bit in a few press conferences when that happened. And he didn't at all. Now, fine, he, he might feel that he can't lose the player for the rest of the season. He can't do that. But he didn't show a lot of strength in that situation. He basically let Pogba and his agent off the hook. And if he didn't want to go for Pogba, he could have gone for his agent, which is mm. quite an easy tactic managers have at their sleeve. Do you think maybe he was... So what they've done is because Mourinho tried the tough love and tried to uh, set that standard of professionalism that Pogba had to get to and didn't, bringing Solskjaer in might have given him a chance to to redeem himself and make sure that he could actually get the value out of him. And that's what they thought. And now it's failed. You'd think you'd want to drop. After that Everton performance, you'd think he'd get dropped. Because that's what I think... I mean, I keep comparing to Alex Ferguson, but that's what he would have done. He would have been out of the team yeah. after what you saw there. But you can't then... You, can't, you don't want to lose the value in the asset that they've got. But it is... It, it's not on what's happening with him there and his other players. That they've got themselves into a total mess. Yeah. I mean, De Gea's form's gone down the pan <laughs> yeah. as well. We keep hearing about his contract. I think if Pochettino had come in rather than Solskjaer, say, straight now, I don't think he'd have done much better than what Solskjaer has done. No, but what about Pochettino? So say he's already, you said he, you know, it's too expensive, but they're going to be under the Champions League. That's already losing money for them. It's almost worth you know, sometimes thinking about let's go and overpay even if we need to and have somebody. The great thing about Pochettino and the great thing about certain managers like Nuno Espirito Santo who's also had a great season is the way that they actually recruit their talent and they're not willing to just buy players that they, you know, for squad depth. It's about having a team unit that works well and in harmony together. I think Marcus Rashford is one of the greatest talents, but I think he's being poisoned in that dressing room at the moment. I don't necessarily feel like the attitude from everyone around him is professional and I don't think that that helps develop certain players yeah, and certain right, talents. Yeah. So this is a case of like, yeah, okay, Martial's really good, but does he have the right attitude for United? Can he help bring along Marcus Rashford? When you look at, for example, Real Madrid, one of the reasons why Zidane decided to speak so eloquently about Karim Benzema is because he's been the man who's taken Vinicius Jr. and raised him. Carlos Tevez was the guy who raised Alvaro Morata in Juventus. It's about having a right dressing room to suit the players that are growing. And right now, that dressing room with Pogba coming in, talking about Real Madrid, you know, I mean, there's only so long and so far you 
can go with. You can blame Mourinho at the time and say, oh, well, you know, it was Mourinho. But now what, you're going to blame Solskjaer as well for the way that Pogba is? Eventually, Pogba has to take responsibility. And I know that it seems like we're always going for him, but he is the best player on that team. So it's normal that if it's, you know, Barcelona losing, you're going to go for Messi, just like you're going to go for Pogba at United too, because you're supposed to think you're a World Cup winner. You're, you're supposed to be the man who comes in and helps this team move forward and have the kind of desire to actually be worthy of a Real Madrid jersey one day. But the way that he's playing and, and picking all these fights and different things and, and, and looking like it's player power, this is why I tell I say that United is poorly poorly put together as a team because this is where the lack of balance is. They haven't thought about the dressing room. It's clearly just a case of let's just bring in the players that we think that can do something special and that's it. What about Arsenal? There is perhaps <laughs> less of a feeling of full-blown crisis there, but how upsetting was their defending against Crystal Palace? It's Specifically Mustafi, <laughs> who is not a good footballer. I don't, it's I very don't upsetting to me, who had confidently say said they'd finish top three a few weeks ago. That's not looking very good. Um, I mean, yeah. They're only one point behind. Mustafi, my word. That summer when they bought Mustafi and Xhaka uh, and Lucas Perez... I think in, which was their highest ever summer spend at the time. My word, that was bad, a bad summer in retrospect. Mustafi keeps kind of getting away with it. It's weird because, you know, every transfer window comes and it, you always think he'll get replaced and you always think he'll go and yet he's a great survivor of it. I don't know whether managers see something in him that we didn't, but that, that Zaha goal was just embarrassing for him. My all word, three, all it was three. terrible. So it's like a FIFA glitch where they just go straight through them. You <laughs> can't it's, believe it. It's such a shame because you watch. I watched them in the Europa League, and I was like, "What great defending is this?" You know, I thought that they were fantastic the way that they had set themselves up. You know, nice and attacking, well balanced. You know, knew exactly how to like control and stem the flow, and they made Napoli not even look average. They looked less than average. I thought this was a very impressive performance by Arsenal. So I was quite surprised about this. It's about squad rotation. If you don't have the players, you know, if you're changing the players up, it just seems like Arsenal have... It's more about a quality thing more than anything, and they need to get rid of a few. And, and what, what annoys me about them is that the minute it's fallen into their hands, they've, the minute they got to a stage where they got the top four into mm. their own hands, mm. is the minute they've then reverted to sort of type and fallen apart spurs? a little bit. Well, all Spurs and New Arsenal, you know, but um, it's it's really disappointing to see that literally as soon as they put it all in their own hands and they had their destiny in control, they can't handle the extra pressure and the extra, you know, whatever that brings with do you it. Think they, that is about them not handling the pressure. I do. do I do just... think there's some teams and some clubs and Arsenal have been guilty about this in you know the Wenger era in that. They've been very good at chasing and very good when they're an underdog almost and, and trying to come from behind. And the minute they get it into their own hands and the expectation falls on them, they fall apart. And that will be interesting in the Europa League now because that Napoli game, there were huge underdogs in. No one gave them absolute hope. And you're right, they performed amazingly yeah, that's what I... home and away. Now, it'll be quite interesting because I think they'll go into that semi-final because of the Napoli game, probably as favourites. Mm whether they can handle that as well, because they're not handling it in the league. Let's rattle through the rest of that league now. Ozzy Perez scored a hat-trick for Newcastle. Is he a legitimately good centre-forward, JJ, or just an example of a player that Rafa Benitez is getting the very most out of? It's a little bit of both. He's definitely a very good player. Uh, I don't think he's a super top-class, elite world player, but he's very good. I mean, there was a when he signed for Newcastle, it was uh, spoken of that he was meant to be signing for Real Madrid at some point. They had their eye on him. He's really... He's decent in that team. 
Uh, but he's sort of a second striker, like a 10 or something behind them. And uh, Benitez has got Newcastle playing quite nice football somehow, even though they don't have very good players. Mm. And they're actually not bad. They could, they could. Uh, I don't know, top 10 is probably too far away this season. But imagine he's able to get some uh, new players in in the summer. And that is an exact example of a club who needs two or three big signings and they'd be a lot better. Mm. He's the kind of player that if you put like a good attacking setup around him and allow him the freedom to move around, then he can really bring something you know, to the table. I think this, the problem with playing for Newcastle has been for him is that it is a defensive team. It is a team that is a lot of the time too tactical. Yeah. But when they are playing sort of with courage and they have three players like they were pushing in the first half, you know, going for it, trying to exploit the spaces, you know, putting the Southampton centre-backs under pressure, then you can see where he can come into it and where he can really relish his position and start actually performing to the levels that we thought that he could reach when he first arrived. He was 1.5 million, though. I mean, yeah. that is a great signing. Great yeah. signing. I mean, if you're a transfer fee, you haven't heard since about 1993. Yeah, 1.5 million. <laughs> you know, he's got 10 goals this season. I think in his, he's usually averaged around sort of seven or eight. That's great value for money, 1.5. Huddersfield could have done with him. Oh, alas. Brighton battled to a draw against Wolves, who look like they've sort of given up a little bit since the FA Cup semi-final, although very unfortunate not to win that game. Brighton-Cardiff, though, means that the relegation battle looks like it could go down to the wire... Who's going to stay up, mate? This, this Brighton game summed up for me why a lot of the Premier League is crap. Oh. Wow. Why? You've got a bunch of fans celebrating wildly. And look, I understand why. A nil-nil draw where they've just gone not to attack. The Premier League is not fun for most fans, I don't think. I've got a real bugbear about this at the moment. Probably not time to go into in great detail on this show. Um, but it just sums up for me where it's wrong. that The ambition goes... The ambition gets sucked out of clubs. The fun of it gets sucked out of clubs. You end up just having to celebrate putting 10 men behind the ball and not trying to win a game. I'm not criticising Brighton. They're trying to stay up. They've got to do that. It's a it's a wider problem with the league. I think outside the top six, it's become non-competitive. But that is a big result for them, massive result for them. I thought they'd go there and get stuff. But it also shows where Wolves have got a problem and this is the next challenge for them because... Their counter-attacking style works great against top sides. But after that, they don't seem to be able to break down teams who come and sit. And they've had a wonderful season. And that's now where they've got to be looking to rectify that over the summer. I quite like that the Premier League is split in two, like it's the Scottish Premiership. You have a split. It's exactly from 10 downwards. When you ship seven goals in two games, there is going to be a desire to get your team to believe that they know how to defend. So it's like, let's take and sacrifice this game, learn how to defend, and perhaps maybe then that will allow for greater balance going forward. There was entertainment in the league over the weekend, though, in Leicester versus West Ham, but the real star of that match, I thought, was the new claret carpet. Come on, don't... don't. West Ham spent £100 million for their season to have been over weeks ago. And they're pleased about it. And they're pleased about the fact their season was over weeks ago they've got nothing to play for 100 million pound buys you nothing to play for I didn't even watch it I don't know what happened I don't care about West Ham or Leicester there's no point watching them at the moment is there what's the point clearly there's spoken man who hasn't seen that carpet I haven't seen that carpet you're listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network to find more of our podcasts just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts what a week in the Champions League. Manchester City 4, Spurs 3. This, to me, was a late contender for Game of the Decade, which is a <laughs> list I'm very excited about putting uh, together for the Telegraph website in about December. 
<laughs> was it exciting for you, Mina, or was it an example of typical indisciplined English nonsense football? Um, <laughs> okay, I don't know. It's between as the greatest game. I also feel like it was PSG Barcelona with that great combined. Uh, yes, for me, that was, that was yeah. like that had less twists and turns. That one, didn't yeah. it? The thing with this was the there the was variance more, of more quality at the bank. Was. <laughs> um, uh, the, this one reminded me of the four four two thousand. It was it two thousand nine between Liverpool and Chelsea in the Champions League second round quite possibly uh, when Chelsea won and that was another one of those where it was just like every time someone had a shot it was going to go in you know but the first 11 minutes I thought like you know I was a little bit distracted I'm on Twitter and then goal and then goal and I was like I've got to watch this whole 11 minutes again because like everything happened in that 11 minutes it was sensational it was so much fun going forward how entertaining because it was really just people unleashing um in that sense, but defensively, obviously, I have a few issues there. You live blogged it, JJ. Was it a fun <laughs> one to cover in that way? Oh yeah, I love these games. Live blogging these things is uh, one of the most fun things you can do. Uh, even I mean, it's work, but it's the it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I love that the, the opening twenty minutes of that game was absolutely mental. I've don't, I've not seen a game like that in the opening 10, 15 minutes. And VAR. And, oh yeah, another thing I noticed about this game, which which will make it, I'll remember it for a long time other than just all the goals and the nonsense, was the uh, the emotional shift at the end with mm. the VAR thing. I've never experienced that before. Where uh, I got so caught up in the moment, it's amazing that Sterling has scored that goal and what a goal it is, the way he controls it, keeps composure and then slots it in the bottom corner is something he wouldn't have done a couple of seasons ago. But that goal goes in, everyone's going nuts, everyone in the office is going, whoa, that's a goal! And then someone pops that balloon and it, you can feel it the whole uh, in the office even. And I've just I've got headphones in. I'm watching the game, and it just quietens right down to silence. And then that kind of slow rumble of uh, of cheering comes from the Spurs fans in the ground as it comes in. I wonder if because people have said that VAR is going to kill emotion. I mean, that's <laughs> not going to kill emotion. It's it makes just it bonus so emotion, isn't it? Yeah. It's just another whole layer. It's to like the World Cup. The VAR was so good in the World Cup. <laughs> I wonder whether the referees should have more. Um, they should be told to make it more dramatic, so it's more fun to watch. Like uh, you know, in cricket, whenever the the ball hits someone's leg. I don't know cricket rules, but it's, it's I think that's what it's called. The yeah. ball has hit someone's yeah, leg. Yeah, leg, leg ball, and then the uh, <laughs> the umpire man, I believe he's called the umpire. He sort of holds his finger up like oh, like it's wrestling, and then everyone goes, "Yes, the ball hit his leg. It's confirmed." So they could do something like that. The referee make it more dramatic, and then give him flames or something like that. Goal. Good idea. Uh, <laughs> Liverpool idea. pretty comfortable against Porto. Do we give them any chance against Barcelona? Though? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, mm, I'm, for I'm, sure. It's a great yeah. last four, isn't it? Yeah, they could they could knock out Barcelona. Mm. That, I think that's going to be pretty close. I'd like any single version of the final as well. Barca Ajax would be great. Um, Spurs Liverpool would be so unexpected. Mm. <laughs> All of it would be good. Yeah, yeah, it's a very good competition. Let's stay in Europe and with our friend Mina Rizuki, who is going to deliver her traditional song for Europe, Shock Horror. Cristiano Ronaldo and Juventus have won Serie A. I know. We never thought this was going to happen, did we? <laughs> How will you look back on this season? Surely you expect the Scudetto now. Uh, yeah, and it it's just going to be coloured by disappointment in the Champions League. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, the way that the season started with so much ambition and so much, like, happiness because finally they they felt like Serie A was coming back because they were attracting the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo. That was the missing link, you know, the difference between them winning that tie against Real Madrid in which they scored three goals in the Bernabeu last season in the Champions League, the difference between the two sides was Ronaldo and they thought they've got him. So they not have, they've not only weakened a competitive of the Champions League but actually own a, a player who can make the difference. And you saw that against Atletico um, when they came back. But I think what 
what's been obvious is Juventus haven't played good football for two seasons now. They rely so much on individual quality and that's why they conceded three goals in Turin to have to come back in the Bernabeu. And he wasn't the missing link. The fact that Chiellini wasn't available just saw them capitulate. This is the worst season probably under Allegri because it's the first season he won't have won the double. He's already been dropped out. He dropped out of the Coppa Italia. Obviously, the team didn't manage it. And now all they really have is a Scudetto and the Supercoppa, which is really nothing special, although Mourinho always states it in one of his trophies that he won. Do they care um, about the Coppa Italia in Italy? Because speaking to an ardent Juventus fan the other day who says that no one really cares about it at all. No, no one really cares about it. But it's also nice to say that I'm the coach that won the double every year. Right. So to yeah. the fact that you won the double every year except for the year you got Ronaldo is a little bit embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> a quick shout out to Pauk Salonika who won the Greek Super League for the first time in 34 years. Absolutely superb excitement on the streets. Lots of people beeping their moped horns going around yeah. the uh, fountain in the town. Warms the heart, doesn't it? Let's finish with the discussion on the PFA Player of the Year shortlist. It's Raheem Sterling, Bernardo Silva, Sergio Aguero, Virgil van Dijk, Sadio Mane and Eden Hazard. Any surprise omissions on that list? And I'm going to ask you all for who you're going to vote for in the Football Writers uh, version of this award. Uh, which do you want me to say first? Uh, whichever you'd like. <laughs> the surprise omission, and I'm not just saying this because of today, is Son, I would say. I think he... We should point out that we have some <laughs> friends from South Korea filming us... We do. For a documentary about Sonny. Well, we've promised to say nice things about Sonny. <laughs> we don't have to promise, we just like him. But I would definitely, definitely have had him in that list. The young player one as well. No Wan-Bissaka in the young player one. And like, have you got the list of the young player one in there? It's Bernardo Silva on the young player one and he's yeah, about 25. Yeah, and Sterling. <laughs> I, think, I mean, they've got, to, they've got to change the age category and the rulings for the young player one because Bernardo Silva is a wonderful player but he shouldn't be on the... Uh, and if we're moaning that Callum Hudson is not getting a game as a nineteen-year-old, you know, if that's meant to be twenty-four, is meant to be young. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So, yeah, I would, uh, I would have Son on the main one. I would have Wan Bissaka on the the young player list. Um, FWA for me is Sterling. I don't know about Son because then you just kind of think Harry Kane, right? Well, it's a good debate that because I was debating this with someone a couple of weeks ago of whether these Player of the Year awards are meant to take in the summer because Harry Kane was golden boot winner at the World Cup but it feels like it's fallen between players last of the... season though wasn't it well no because you I vote for you it don't get the award, you don't yeah. get the, you don't get to vote for that summer mm. so it feels like that just gets placed in between votes and he doesn't get any recognition for it. It's a league it. award though, isn't it? Like, So if, if Harry Kane had somehow scored 50 Champions League goals and only two in the Premier League, he probably wouldn't make the list. But would it, wouldn't he? I think still people would vote on that basis. This is, this is the debate. Who gets your vote, Mina? I think the player of the year should be the one who makes, you know, without him, the team wouldn't win, basically. More and of an MVP award. Yeah. And for me, I think it's Virgil van Dijk or Raheem Sterling, because I really do think that Sterling is the... I know Aguero scores the goals and I know like, you know, Fernandinho is so essential for that side, but I do think that Sterling is the shining star. In for, that th- for those who don't know, the FWA award does have a paragraph within the sort of rules of what you're voting for about uh, their behaviour off the pitch and their conduct off the pitch and what they also do away from the pitch, which is not only the reason I think Raheem Sterling would, would shade it, but I think that Raheem Sterling would get a lot of credit obviously, like we've given him for, for what he's been doing off the pitch. And I think with the FWA award, not the PFA award, that should come into the thinking too. That's exactly why I'm voting Sterling in the FWA. Yeah. For stuff he's done off the pitch as yeah. well as on yeah. 
They don't want a full year. But for, for, the PF, but for this, what are you going to do? PFA? Well, JJ's well, not well I'm not a, a player. He thinks he is. He thinks he is from okay, his Sunday league days. But just tell me who you'd vote for, because it's got to be Van Dyke, right? That'd be quite good if Van Dyke won the PFA and Sterling won the FWA. That's mm. exactly how it should probably go, yeah. Okay. Let's hope that happens. Let's finish this podcast by talking about Maurizio Pochettino, who said he was so happy despite Tottenham losing their league game against Manchester City. We asked our friends on social media, and I'm about to ask all of you, as a fan, have you ever been happy with your team losing? Over on Twitter, Yoshimitsu, possibly from Tekken, said, I was happy when we, Leicester, lost 2-1 at Sevilla in the first leg a few years back. Late Vardy away goal and a Casper masterclass saved us. Great days. And Tonmoy commented, If Liverpool didn't manage to win any trophies this year, this will be the best side ever to have not won a trophy this season. Not really the question, Tonmoy. JJ, happy with <laughs> Aberdeen losing. When has it happened? Um, never happy, but at some point when you're conceding the 5th and the 6th and the 7th, it is sort of almost funny to watch it happen and <laughs> not shadow front you're just sort of watching it going well I wonder what's going to happen now nine make it ten yeah it was oh Mike McGee's God. worst ever game it's pretty great nine nil Celtic yeah Mina um, oh all the time I'm constantly cheering for them to lose only just because I want an exciting league again <laughs> you know when it's 20 points and you're like now no one asks you about the league because it's so boring I kind of always wanted Juventus to lose just because I needed Said he had to be fun. Need Hellas Verona back in the top flight, uh, Mina. I don't know answer. about that. I don't know about that. But Kievo's down, so anyway. Matt Law? My mum asked me never to make this public, which I haven't done until now. My mum and dad, when I was seven... You can still stop to see that. <laughs> my mum and dad, when I was seven, allowed me to go on a supporters coach on my own to the old den oh with Villa. Oh, my goodness. I know. What was the year? It would have been uh, 1986. Did you have a guardian on the coach with you? With nope. Oh, my God. Goodness. I went on a supporters coach on my own uh, to the old den and I was in the away section and even at that age I remember we were going for promotion with Millwall that season we were in the old division two and we both ended up going up so it was a big game and I remember wanting us to lose because we were getting all sorts of things thrown at us and I was worried what was going to happen afterwards. Wow. Oh, wow. That's quite scary. Yeah. yeah. And you can understand why my mum didn't really feel great about doing that now. Has your mum ever heard of a podcast, let alone this podcast? Mm. She listens. Oh, great. Does she? Oh, my mum's all over this. Yeah, she loves it. Hello. Hi, Carol. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Carol. (laughs) That's your lot for this week's AFC Telegraph. You can contact me on Twitter if you'd like to before next week's episode with you on Monday as ever. It's at Tom with an H Gibbs. Send us an email to the podcast as well. By all means, beat the spam filter and we'll read out the very best of what you send us. It's afcpodcast at telegraph.co.uk. Don't forget to subscribe to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Just type those words into a search bar and take it from there. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon.